Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. This morning, I um, would like to pick up some things from uh, John's letters. I'm not sure how many uh, Sundays we've spent here looking at John's letters. I know we've talked about the apostolic, apostolic house and the apostolic heart. The apostolic house, we've, we've, we've talked here about why we do what we do. And I know that Stephen and Phil in particular have shared some things about why we speak in tongues, why we worship with expression, uh, why we pray and, and fast, and, and some of the things that why we do what we do in this apostolic house. And that's one arm, if you like, of, of where we'd like to explore the word together. But the other arm that we need to also focus on is the apostolic heart. And for God to understand that the church needs apostles and prophets, needs all the gifts of Christ in Ephesians 4, needs the whole body equipped and built up and and ready to go on this adventure, this purpose that God has for us, and that we go knowing the apostolic heart, the the why behind the what, why we do what we do. And um, so that we go knowing um, this is why I'm doing it. This is backed up with, with the real heart of, of God that's expressed through our, our spiritual leaders. And, and in John's letters, we have this wonderful apostolic heart expressed to the church, these, these three letters. And uh, Chris Alton came, I don't know, maybe like six weeks ago, perhaps, and introduced the, uh, the letters of John, John's epistles, He'd done it in in Sunny Stanton the week before and then he came over to Market Harbour and and he talked about these three strands, if you like, that are are, are kind of intertwined through John's letters. These three specific elements, characteristics of God that John focuses on in his letters to the churches. The first one being the life of God. The second one being the light of God. And the third thing being the love of God. And he takes light and life, and love, and he, and, he, and he intertwines them in his letters. Yes. And uh, he picks a lot of stuff up from the Gospels and, and, and continues them through the letters that he writes. And Chris shared and talked about what the life of God is, what the light of God is, and what the love of God is. Yes. And this is me with a quick reminder. If you should watch Blind Date, here's Al Graham with a quick reminder. Well, that's me, okay? <laughs> Firstly talked about the life of God. And Chris said the word life is the word zoe. If your name is Zoe, or a middle name is Zoe, you know something, it actually means divine life. Okay? And, and so John's letters is talking about Jesus coming and bringing into the world the zoe life of God, the eternal, spiritual, everlasting, inconquerable life of God, divine life that was missing in the world. Because when the fall happened and Adam and Eve sinned, God said, if you eat of that fruit, you will what? Die. Did they take the apple and then dramatically there was... Ah, 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 ah. No. In that moment, they didn't die, although physical death was then part of their experience. And there was an eternal death, but they died spiritually. And that spiritual life, that Zoe life, was missing from humanity, from the world, until Jesus came to bring that Zoe life of God into the earth. That's why it's so exciting at Christmas because we remember it's the time 2,000 years ago when divine life came back into the world. Creation was missing this divine life. It was yearning for it. Mankind was yearning for it. And all of a sudden in Christ came this divine Zoe life of God. 
Isn't that exciting? And that when we receive Jesus as our Lord, when he comes into our life and he brings his spirit into us, that spiritual divine life becomes part of our own experience. We become alive. If Jesus is dead, then we are too. But we've said it this morning. He's alive. And when I say that, I think, and I am too. That's why I dance. Because I think I'm alive. I remember when I passed my driving test and and all of a sudden I was 17 years old in two months and I passed my driving test. And the first thing I did when I got out of the car, I I did a little dance. I'm not a dancer, but I did a little dance. Because all of a sudden I thought, I've got freedom. I can get in this little car now and I don't have to have anybody sitting next to me telling me what to do, which turning to take. I can just go. I'm free. How much more so when in Christ we've had that divine life that we're free to live for him. And so it talks about the life of God that came into the world through Christ. And then it talks about the light of God that broke in. That word is phos. And it means a light that speaks of holiness and purity. But, but much more than that, it speaks of this effusive light that essentially brings clarity to everything. Yeah. You know, if you, you go into a dark room and you don't know that space very well, you're wondering what on earth could be waiting for you. When you're a child, or if you're still me, your imagination can run wild about the sort of things that could be in this dark space. Something that you could tread on or trip over, or somebody's going to jump out and attack you. you That's not going to happen. But, you know, all of those things can come into your mind. You can be fearful, you can be anxious, you can be unaware of what's going on, staggering around, and all of a sudden you hit the light on, and everything becomes clear. And and that's what happens when when Jesus came into the world. He brought the truth of God into the world. So suddenly the lights came on, and everybody could see how things really are. This force of God, the light of God, broke into the world through Jesus Christ, bringing God's wonderful light to bear. And we have that now, the truth of God in our lives. And then the love of God expressed through Christ, revealed to the world the kind of God that the world always wondered that was out there. What sort of God is he? Well, Jesus says this, hey, if you want to know what the Father's like, here I am. It's what I do, it's what I say, how I minister. I'm perfectly expressing the heart of God. And Jesus lived this (coughs) self-sacrificial Beautiful, giving, healing, feeding, touching, challenging, transforming, revolutionally uh, loving life. And God's love is not human love X3 or cubed or squared or whatever or to the the 10th degree or whatever it is. It's, it's, It's a completely unique, perfect type of love that comes purely from God. The agape love of God. And Jesus came to reveal that love to humanity and mankind. And you know, John very strongly hits on these three things, the life of God, the light of God, and the love of God. And he not only holds them up and says, this is what Jesus showed us. He's also saying this, and this is, what, this is available to you. Yes. If you will truly believe who Jesus is, all of these things are available to you. Yes. And he does this wonderful thing. Only John does this. John does the God is. Do you remember those little love is cartoons? Yes. We've got those two weird cherubic people. and I, I, I never really trusted them. But it was like, love is dot, 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 and a little cartoon, and it was always a bit cutesy. But, but actually, what John does is he says, more importantly, God is. And he helps to define for us characteristics of the nature of God, what God is like. John 4, 24, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he says this, God is spirit. 
All of a sudden we have an understanding of what God is. God is this eternal, divine life, living spirit that's always been, that is a far greater superiority to the natural and the temporal and the physical because he's eternal and he's spiritual and it speaks of this divine life. God is spirit. God is life, real life. It's from God that all other life came into being because that's the divine life. Do you know it's creative? The divine life of God is creative. If there's anything in your life that seems dead, you can speak with the life of God, the Zoe life, you can bring it back to life. In fact, you can speak things into being that are not. That's pretty cool. You need to use that more. So <laughs> God is spirit. And then in 1 John uh, 1 verse 5, G, uh, John says this, God is light. What does he mean by that? It means God is totally pure, totally holy, totally and uh, has no sin whatsoever, but also is completely true. He brings revelation to everything. He defines what is true and what is not true. Only God gets to do that. We don't get to do that. I'm so glad I don't get to define what's true because I, I don't know about you, but I have a limited intellect and understanding. I don't know everything. I also know this, my feelings, my choices aren't always the best. And they can't, I can't allow those things to define what I believe to be true. That's a real, that's a real challenge. But actually it's God who defines what's true because God is light. Therefore everything that's true is defined by this light. God is spirit, he's life. God is light, he's truth. And then wonderfully, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And so we see these three things again, the, the life of God, the spirit, the light of God, the truth, and the love of God expressed beautifully. And John is writing because he's knowing that, that these truths are being challenged by false teachers who are trying to infiltrate the church with wrong teachings about who Jesus is. You see, there was this Gnosticism, this, this philosophical belief, this heresy that Jesus wasn't really fully God and fully man. And let's face it, it is a mystery. Okay, I'm not going to brush over that. It's a mysterious truth. But we must believe it. We must know, even if we don't fully get our heads around it, we know this is what God has said. Jesus was fully God and fully man. But what was happening was teaching was coming into the, into the church to say, no, 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 no. Jesus was, was fully God. He was fully spirit, but he wasn't fully man. Because all things physical and, and material are bad. The earth is bad. Our bodies are bad. It's all bad. It was actually made by a bad God, the Old Testament God. And this Jesus came, he's spirit. He came from the good God who wants to bring us enlightenment and set us free from this kind of case that's holding the true light within and, and, and containing it. And actually, therefore, Jesus came as this sort of spectral figure, almost whose feet never really touched the ground. That's why he walked on water, apparently. And so there was this wrong teaching that he was God, yes, but he wasn't man. Or other teaching that he was man, he was a man called Jesus. And when Jesus hit 30, he was born of Mary and Joseph. And when he hit 30, the Christ descended on him when John baptized him in the, in the river. And then the Christ and Jesus ministered for the time that he uh, ministered in those three years. And then when Jesus got to the cross, the Christ said, I'm out of here. And left a man to suffer and die on the cross. That's a shocking and abhorrent teaching. Because it's basically saying God made a man a scapegoat. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. John makes that powerful statement. You see, if, if God 
If Jesus wasn't fully God, then the sacrifice could never have been the perfect sacrifice that was needed to deal with the separation between us and God because of man and humanity's sin. Only God could bridge that gap. So Jesus was fully God. But also, if Jesus was fully man, because only he then could be the firstborn. Only he could be the one who paves the way for us to have a relationship with God, to be the first of many sons that would be born to a family that are adopted into his house. And he is our example. If Jesus was the spectral figure that floated through his life, I've got nothing to follow because I don't know about you, but I'm not a ghost. I'm not a floaty spirit. But actually, it tells me this, Jesus suffered. The Son of God came and he laid aside, Paul tells us, his divine rights, his divine privileges, and he lived as a man, limited as a man. He suffered, he was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty, he got, uh, he got let, let down. He felt sorrow and sadness. He saw death and it made him sad. He saw the crowds and he had compassion. These were human emotions that were added to and and totally made righteous by the Holy Spirit because he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And therefore he sets this example for us. And I just want to encourage us this morning to know that God's heart for each one of us is to know this fullness of life, this divine life, I, I've, I've heard different people talk about Jesus like he was some sort of dour, serious, downer of a guy. No way. Jesus was the life and the soul of the party. The Pharisees couldn't get their heads around it. He was getting all the invitations. I think they were a bit put out because nobody ever asked them. But Jesus was going to all of these different feasts. Now, he never sinned. He was called a drunk. He, never, he didn't get drunk. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. But he was there in the midst because he was great to be around. No matter whether you were uh, good, bad, or indifferent, Jesus was great company. He was, there was the life of God was expressed in him. Yeah. And God wants us to be full of life. He also wants us to know the truth. He wants us to be really clear on what we believe and what we understand. Firstly, about who he is. Yeah. Secondly, about who you are now in him. Yeah. Thirdly, about who we are. Yeah. And then, fourthly, about the world out there. Yeah. And to have a real clear understanding of the truth. Let his light shine into your, our lives so that we see him as he is, I am a, as, I, as he sees me, one another as, we, as he sees us, and how he sees the world. Amen. It's the only way we're ever going to really be successful in this world. Right. And he came to show us the love, and we can know a love, a love for God, this covenantal love, unconditional love, a love for ourselves. Yes. To know that, you know, we are but dust, but we're not but dust, Okay. Like, we, there's, there's something precious about us, okay? And that we have a love for one another, and that we have a genuine love for the world. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Life, light, and love. Zoe, divine, spiritual life. The light that's the truth that shines in our lives and, and causes us to see things as they really are, as God sees them. And a love that is divine, that comes from God. Not my own made-up version or my own trying-hard version. But all of those things come from him, come from and through his Holy Spirit. It's the only way we're ever going to live in the light of these things. That's how Jesus lived. And I, I I I can't compete with him. But when I have his spirit, I have exactly the same advantages that he had. Exactly the same power that he had. Exactly the same life that he had. 
You know, Jesus didn't have a cheat code, or, or you know, he didn't sort of do anything on, he, he just did everything as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Yes. I don't think I'm going to get through all my notes this morning, but I want to just pick something up at the end of uh, John's uh, Gospels. And uh, if you could put the next slide up, I want to focus a little bit on love and truth. And I, th- I guess, I don't know if you've noticed on these little envelopes, just want to say what a great job our media team do. They are so good. Um, can you see the first envelope's got what? It's like a tree. So that's life. Next one's got a light bulb. Light. And then a heart. That means uh, cards. No. <laughs> uh, love. And so those three things are really important. So if you flick through to, I'm going to focus on love and truth a little bit. And if you could put the next verse up. This is, I think, I, um, I, I think this is from the J.B. Phillips version. And... Um, this is the end of John's first letter. So John's letters were all written quite late on, possibly some of the last writings that we have in, in our Bibles. And uh, this is the end of, of uh, 1 John 5. It says, we know that we ourselves are children of God. Who's born again here today? Who's given their life to Jesus? You are a child of God. That's an amazing truth. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. That's nice. No, I'm a child of God. I can say, Abba, Father. He looks on me as one of his own. That's just an amazing thought. We know that we ourselves are children of God. Holy Spirit, let us know that truth more than ever before. Let that revelation be poured forth into our hearts right now and flood our minds that we are your children, Father. And we also know that the world around us is under the power of the evil. And did you know that? That there's a prince of the power of the air, Paul talks about in Ephesians. That the enemy tricked Adam and Eve. He couldn't take it from them, but he allowed them to voluntarily hand over authority in the world to him at the garden. And it's remained his domain ever since. However, that is not how it will end. Because God is a God of restoration. And God is a God who's going to restore all things to himself through his son, And the church gets to play a part in that wonderful plan. But the fact is, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's influenced by an enemy that wants to do all that he can to oppose the plans and the purposes of God. Wants to stand against us. But we don't need to be afraid of that because we're children of God. And here's the thing. God always wins. But we recognize that in this world... There's a culture, there's a leadership, there's a, a dynamic, there's, there's a movement constantly that's trying to oppose God's word, God's truth, God's ways, God's people, a constant movement. We have to be mindful of that and aware of that because culture will try and shape our thinking and our beliefs into its mold and behind that culture is the evil one. And God says, no, I've set for you a culture that I want you to live in. It's in you. This is how you're to live. And this is timeless, and it's timely. It's timeless, and it's eternal. It'll always work, and it's timely, and it's for today. And so we understand that, and we know, too, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding to know the one who is true. You see these words, life and true, and this giving and sacrifice of love. We know that our life is in the true one, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the real God, and this is eternal life. And then he finishes his letter. These are his last words on his letter. I don't even know if it says yours sincerely, or, you know, love and blessings. But it says, 
Be on your guard, my dear children, against every false idol. Sign out. Full stop. Send. Be on your guard. Be on your guard, my dear children, against every false idol. And as I, as I read that and as I've read around that, you know, I, th- I believe that John is, is, is not just saying, I don't think he's afraid that all of a sudden these new, new Christians are going to start becoming, taking on Roman practices and worshipping many gods. They were a polytheistic nation. I, I like the Greeks. They had as many gods as they needed and they would worship them. I don't, I don't even think entirely he's thinking about the fact that we can raise other things up in our lives and they can become false gods. And we know that. We, we talk about those things. That certain things sometimes we can elevate and they become more important to us and of greater priority to us than God himself. Yeah. That can be our jobs. That can be money. That can be family. That can be all sorts of things. That they become elevated and they become a false idol. But, I, but as, I, as I thought about it, I thought, actually, all a false idol really is, is when we make God in our image. That's what God always challenged people of. You're making a God in your image. It's with your own hands that you're cutting them out of stone. You're carving them out of wood. And you're creating gods from your own understanding, your own concepts, your own philosophies, your own beliefs. And you're creating God in your image. And God wants to say this to us all. You don't get to make me in your image because I made you in mine. (laughs) We never get to make God in our image. But sometimes we do that because we, we view God and we think about God and we believe things about God that aren't based on what God says about himself. They're based on what we feel or think or we've experienced or other people have told us. And God says, no, no, no. You don't get to make me in your image. I've made you in mine. You don't get to define what I'm like. I've already done it. And we need to learn by the spirit, through the word, with one another, the truth of who God is. And we see that displayed, as we've already said, most beautifully through Jesus Christ. But I want to say today, you know, the truth of God and who he is, we really need to understand more and more who God really is. And that we don't make him in our our image. We realize he's uh, he's made us in his image. And that we don't get to define what he's like. We don't get to define what's true. We don't get to define what love is. And... In 2 John and 3 John, I, I'm not going to read them through right now, but um, just for the sake of time, but just to say those two letters pick up very strongly the uh, themes of love and truth. And one is written to a lady, the other is written to a man. 2 John is written to a lady, 3 John is written to a man. And, and he's essentially saying to the lady, it's great how loving you are, but you need to guard the truth. In a sense, he's saying there's plenty of love, but not quite enough truth. And you're allowing these false teachers to come in. And as soon as you're being hospitable to them, you think you're showing them love. But actually what you're doing is you're allowing lies to come into the church. And you need to guard the truth. And there are some people you need to not let in your home. Because they're anti-Christ. Too much love, or maybe not too much love. A fullness of love, but not enough truth. And then he writes to Gaius. And he says, Gaius, man, you are so hot on truth. And I love that about you. I love how much you love truth and you value truth and you hold truth up. But listen, you need to show a bit more love. There are traveling ministers who are preaching the gospel of the truth. And there's a man called Diotrephes who's opposed to that. But I want you to be different and I want you to be hospitable. I want you to bring and extend love to those who are preaching the truth. It's great that you're guarding the truth. But hey, come on, let's up the love. (laughs) And can you see how both are required? A fullness of love and a fullness of truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. 
full of love and truth. And, and God wants us to live that way. And actually, I believe in modern times, in a postmodern world, and it will happen many other times in different cultures through different times because there's an enemy who's, who's influencing the thinking and the beliefs in the world, the spirit of the age. But actually, truth and love are two things that are under attack. That's right. Truth is under attack. In a postmodern world, mm-hmm. truth is relative. Okay, truth is defined by how you feel, what you think. You search for the truth inside yourself. You tell me your truth, and I will tell you mine. And it's personal, and it's transient, and it's fickle, and it, it's, it's relative. God defines what's true. You know, it, it's crazy, the, this statement, there are no absolute truths. That is an absolute truth, is it not? <laughs> to say there are no absolutes is an absolute. So there are no absolutes other than the absolute that there are no absolutes. <laughs> and to say that there's no truth is a truth, is it not? So the truth that there's no truth is the only truth there is? It's, it's built on this complete dichotomy, this, this false understanding. And this, but this is the world that we live in. And if we're not careful, then we start to kind of slip into this. It can permeate, be very subtle. The enemy will always, that's his modus operandum, is to challenge truth. What does he say in the garden to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? What's the truth? It's all relative, isn't it? No, it's not actually. God defines what's true. He's light. And we need to therefore know there are absolute truths and they're founded in Christ, in the word, in God. And he wants to nail those things into our lives by his Holy Spirit to really anchor them so that they anchor us in our lives. And there's this kind of view that if you try and present your truth as being different or superior or challenge somebody else's beliefs that you're being intolerant. And so tolerance is extended to everybody apart from anybody that might challenge what somebody else believes and then that's treated with utmost intolerance. Have you noticed that? That's the postmodern age we're living in. But as Christians, we have to be really careful that we don't shirk back from speaking the truth. The challenge is this. Sometimes there's all truth and there's very little love. I'm right. And there's no love behind it. It's a sense of pride, sense of self-satisfaction, a sense of I'm better than you. I've got the answers. And if it comes like that, that's just, even if it's true, it's hard to take, isn't it? And so we understand what's true and we, we guard the truth and we, we encourage one another with the truth because truth is under attack. And then, and then the other thing that I believe is trying to be redefined in the world is love. Yes. Somebody once said, never marry a tennis player. Love means nothing to them. <laughs> but of course, it depends on your definition of love. Does it not? And there are different kinds of love. In, in the, and I think it was in the month of August, it might have been July, um, the, the kind of the gay pride movement has moved from a day to a month now. It's kind of happened quite quickly. And, uh, and I understand its origins and I resent anybody that treats people differently because of their sexuality. That's wrong. However, God is also very clear on what is sexual purity and what isn't. That, that's in the word. And that doesn't just relate to homosexuality, it relates to sex outside of marriage. It relates to many other things. God is very clear on lots of things in his word about what is right and what is wrong. He also defines what marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, I'd be in trouble for saying that, but that's the truth. And we hold on to those things. 
And so, and, and, and in this whole kind of uh, month, there, there was a phrase, I don't know if you saw it used, love is love. I don't know if you ever saw that written down. And essentially it's saying love gets to define itself. Whenever I feel love, that is love. That's as just as anybody, any other kind of love. And, and, and I read that and I thought, actually, do you know what? That's not true because the Bible tells us God is love. And therefore God gets to define what love is and how love is expressed. You know, I'd love to just go along with it and say, yes, fine. But actually, there's a truth. But that truth also underlines the love of God and what love really is. And God gets to define these things. The church doesn't get to define them. Leaders don't get to define them. We don't get to define them. The world definitely doesn't get to define them. Only God gets to define what is true and what is love. But we also need to understand we need a fullness of both. And love is good and truth is good. I don't know sometimes if you ever like look at love and truth and you think that kind of love is the nice bit. Oh, love. And truth is like the tough bit. Good cop, bad cop. You know, love comes in and puts an arm around you, gives you a coffee, you know, in questioning. And you get all relaxed and all of a sudden truth comes in and bangs the desk, you know. <laughs> or that, um, that truth is the medicine and love is the spoonful of sugar. But actually, do you know what? Both are equally good. Yeah. Love is good and truth is good. Did you know actually that love causes us to obey? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And truth leads us into freedom. He says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Love, truth doesn't lock us in and love free us. Actually, love causes us to obey, and truth sets us free. They're both wonderfully good things. They're both beautiful things. They both lead us into freedom. And so God wants us to understand and appreciate how important these two things are. I've got, I've got um, I, won't be, I won't be much longer. I've got a letter here, though. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. To uh, Stephen Russell. <laughs> and uh, five stamp clothes, is that? Should I say that out loud on the podcast? Can we delete that, please? In case, in case all the crowds go to Stephen's house. To see Mandy, obviously. But. And, um, and it, I, I, you know, love is like an envelope. <laughs> Like this. Because um, love is personal. This is actually directed to somebody somewhere. This isn't just random. This is, this is to you. And I don't know if you notice here, there's a very badly drawn stamp in the corner there. But love costs something as well. It costs me something to prepare this. And this envelope, if you like, expresses a love and an appreciation. It's personal. It's costly. And more, look. And... People under the age of 20 are like, what does that mean? <laughs> Sealed with a loving kiss. And so because of love, this can travel and it can get to Stephen and he can receive it. And then if Stephen opens it, you learn a lot about a person by the way they open an envelope or a present, don't you think? That's very ordered. What's in there? A letter. This is the truth. There's truth in here. And the thing is, it got to Stephen because it was enveloped in love. And it's got the date on it, because truth is always timely. It's today's date. And it says, Dear Stephen, Jesus has sent the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he's come from the Father to you, and he'll testify all about Jesus. And my encouragement to you is always draw on the advocate and lead by his advocacy. Be a constant advocate for the advocate. Yeah. 
John 15, 26. You do that and you'll know a real refreshing in how you care for others. Rely on the, the advocate, on the Holy Spirit. That's my truth to him. And the thing is, an envelope with love is, is, is lovely, but when truth is inside it, isn't it so much more powerful? And God wants us to bring the truth. But I believe love leads truth beautifully into a life. If I just had this and I kind of like, you know, I've just scattered the truth into the wind. It doesn't, it's, there, was no, there was no love behind it. And it might get somewhere near him. I don't know, but, but, but God wants us to be full of love and full of truth in how we relate to one another and in how we relate to the world around us as well. I think sometimes the church has been a little bit guilty of trying to present the truth to the world without really re- reflecting the love of God. Or the flip side is we express a lot of love, but we never follow it through with the truth. And God's heart for us is that in the life that he's called us, the life of the spirit, that we do things full of love and full of truth. That love leads to truth. You know, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.4 and he says, I wrote this letter. It's a letter that's missing from our Bibles. We don't actually know what he says in it. But what he does write is, is clearly very challenging to the church. And he said, I wrote this letter with great anguish and a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Can you see? He's like, I have to share the truth with them. And in some ways it would be easier to keep it to myself, but my love for them is so great that I I can't withhold the truth. And so he shared the truth with them, but it came from an absolute heart of love. Who here loves conflict? Who enjoys a good bit of conflict in the workplace or in church life or in family? No, oftentimes we avoid it. But actually the, 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 the proof of love is that we're willing to bring the truth. But actually for truth to make the mark, it has to be full of love. Somebody can come with truth, but it comes from frustration or pride or annoyance or anger or whatever it might be, and it will never really truly hit the mark. But if it comes with love, it's so powerful. It says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. It means the truth that comes from a friend is beautifully sweet and fragrant. But it's all about application, isn't it? Have you ever had a bit of perfume in the eye? Have you ever put a bit of perfume in your mouth? I mean, it's the same perfume, but now it's not really having the same effect. It's all about application. And that truth comes with love, then it always hits the mark. It's always fragrant. It's always pleasing. It always makes a difference. Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth in love, growing ever more like Christ, who is the head of his church. I am so grateful for people who've spoken truth into my life from a place of love. Really challenge me because they love me. And it's good for us to do that for one another. And if somebody comes with a challenge that's truthful, please don't just dismiss it, but recognize the heart behind it. And if there's love in there, then in a sense, we have to receive it. Believe it's coming from God. Love leads to truth and truth leads to love that actually in growing in our understanding of the truth, it helps us to grow in an understanding of love. And as we grow in understanding of love, we feel that love and we express that love then to others. How many of you know that not everybody in the church is entirely lovable? How many people know that some people in the church are not even very likable? I know, it's a shocking statement from a pastor. Are there some people that you're joined with or that you, that you just think, you know what, naturally speaking, I'm not sure we'd hang out. <laughs> or when we chat, I'm not sure we quite click or connect on different levels, but... But, but the fact is that when we know the truth about who we are, yeah. 
then we ask God to help us. There have been times when I've genuinely, I've gone to God, I've said, the truth is, God, I know this guy's in my family. He's in my church family. So I'm asking you, Lord, please, give me some love for him. <laughs> because you do say in 1 John 4, 8, that love comes from you. So I'm coming to the source right now because I need it. Because I don't really like him very much. It's true. And, and I've, honestly, I've known the Holy Spirit changed my heart. And I've, I've seen beyond the, the things that have niggled me about that person. Or, or I think the Holy Spirit sometimes gives me a bit of an insight into maybe why they are a little bit the way that they are. And all of a sudden I think, it's not, you've not engineered yourself to be like this. There are certain things that have shaped you this way. And I just want you, I want good for you. And I feel a love for them. Even now as I think about them, I'm kind of doing the welling thing. But can you see how those two things are so important in our lives? Truth and love. Truth gives us an inner, inner desire to love one another and to show grace. And, and so I, I don't want to say much more, but I would like if the musicians could come. And th- there was that, that last song. I had a different song that I mentioned to Benj at the beginning, but actually I think that song that we finished with is, is really uh, wonderful. And it was that, there was that verse that says, as the spirit moves upon me now, you meet my deepest need. And um, I don't know everybody in the room, um, but I do know that God knows you and God loves you and, and he loves each one of us here. And he wants us to really experience and enjoy all of these three things. He wants to ex- yeah. us to enjoy and experience his life. He wants us to know his truth and the light to break into our lives. And he wants us to know his love. I really believe that. And, and you may feel today that, that you, you feel a need for an increase in one of those three things. Maybe all of them, maybe two of them, I don't know. But if there's a sense this morning, you say, Lord, I would, I'm asking for a greater sense of your divine life. That your life would just flood within me right now. Do you know the, the word tells us that this life comes from the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings this life, this Zoe life, this divine life. Or you may feel, Lord, I'm not seeing things the way that I should right now, either about you or myself or others. I'm asking, Lord, that your truth, your light breaks in. And Jesus says that when the spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us into truth. Or it might be that you, you're struggling in relationships. It might be with people you, you're, you're, you're related to even, or people in the church, but, or even, even people outside of the church, and God wants you to have a fresh love for them. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, the first part that Paul mentions is love, that, that kind of grows and, and, and develops in our lives. And, and so I would just like us to say that song, as the Spirit moves upon me now, I'm going to pray, trust that the Holy Spirit will move. And whichever area you would either feel a need to or you just like to, him to minister to you in, I believe you'll know an, an increase right now in his presence. Can we stand together, please? This is how we'll end our time. I'm not going to take a long time over it, but, but it just, it's, it's our own heart response. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful example, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that your example... It, is achievable, it's attainable because we have the same spirit. We have the same power, the very same power that raised you from the dead, Lord, and seated you in heavenly places. The Holy Spirit, that you're the same spirit and you're here with us and in us right now. And we thank you for that. We recognize that. We say, even though we might not think it or feel it, Lord, we we just know that that is what your word says. And so we begin to believe it, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that right now that as we sing, as we worship, as we recognize and acknowledge that you're moving upon us, that you would minister as you see fit into our lives.
fresh life, fresh light, fresh love, that we would leave this place knowing a touch from you, Spirit of God, that would lead us into this world, into the people that you've, uh, lives of those around us to transform the world for your glory, Jesus. So we ask that you administer and have your way, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.